Hello, and welcome to the SWIB podcast, where members of the Wisconsin Retirement System can turn for timely information on the investments that help fund the state's pension system. I'm Chris Preisler, Communication Specialist for the State of Wisconsin Investment Board, or SWIB. And I'm Dusty Weiss, producer of the podcast. The Wisconsin Retirement System was created 40 years ago to help protect public employees and their beneficiaries against the financial hardships of old age and disability, to attract and retain a qualified public workforce, establish modest benefits, and achieve administrative savings. There's no doubt that the WRS has done that and more over the last four decades. But the WRS, as one of the only fully funded public pension systems in the country, is more than just a retirement benefit for state and local government employees. It also provides a strong, steady economic pillar for the entire state. Economic gains attributable to defined pension benefits like the WRS are substantial. Benefits paid by state and local pension plans support a significant amount of economic activity that ripples through the economy, creating a multiplier effect as one person's spending becomes another person's income. In Wisconsin, more than 85% of WRS pensions go to retirees living in Wisconsin who purchase goods and services and pay their taxes here. A well-funded and well-managed retirement plan is not only good for public employees, it is also good for Wisconsin. In this episode of the SWIB podcast, the executive director of the National Institute on Retirement Security is going to help us take a closer look at how the strength of the WRS helps support local economies across Wisconsin and the country. The SWIB podcast is a regular opportunity for you to learn more about the people and funds that comprise the Wisconsin retirement system. Please make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your fellow WRS members and leave a review on iTunes so it's easier for other members to find this show. Located in Washington, D.C., the National Institute on Retirement Security is a nonprofit research and education organization established to contribute to informed policymaking by fostering a deep understanding of the value of retirement security to employees, employers, and the economy as a whole. With a diverse membership that includes financial service firms, employee benefit plans, trade associations, and other retirement security providers, NEARS is working to provide research that informs the public debate on retirement security issues. Dan Doonan is the executive director of the National Institute on Retirement Security. Dan joins us to talk about the pensionomics of defined benefit or DB pensions. We will look at the impact DB plans like the WRS have on jobs, the economy, tax revenues, and helping millions of public employees prepare for retirement. We will also look at some of the issues impacting defined benefit plans. Dan, welcome to the SWIB podcast. Thank you for having me. Dan, it's a pleasure, and you have more than 20 years of experience working on retirement issues from different vantage points, including as an analyst, a consultant, a trainer, and even a planned trustee. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you ended up as the executive director of NEARS? Sure. Well, I went to school to study mathematics with a concentration in actuarial science. When I graduated, I started out working at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And among other things, they do large surveys, produce things like the CPI that measures inflation. But I worked more on the compensation side of their work, the National Compensation Survey, the Employer Cost Index. And that looks at things more like access to benefits and the cost of employment. Then I moved over to work at Buck Consultants, which is a consulting firm. And there we consulted with clients on pension issues. And this was really more aligned with what I went to school for. In short, pension actuaries calculate how much money to contribute to pension funds to keep them on track. So they'll have the money to pay benefits down the road. 
when I was doing this work, it was the late 90s, and with the incredible bull market of the 90s, we mostly had good news for clients at that point. But eventually, I moved on to work on pensions in other roles, and that included at the National Education Association, as well as AFSCME. There, I served as a resource to people who were navigating the fallout of the Great Recession. Many plans are being changed in response to the severe market downturn and following the real estate bubble and the financial crisis. So in other words, the declining markets caused pension underfunding. This put pressure on employers and higher costs and ultimately those in the plans themselves. I've also worked a lot with trustees over the years who were also navigating the fallout from the Great Recession. Tell us a little bit about NEARS and the work it does to support the enhancement of retirement security in America. So our vision is really one where retirement systems simultaneously meet the needs of employers, employees, and the public interest. We're talking about employers being able to offer affordable, high-quality retirement benefits that help them achieve their human resources goals. For instance, maintaining a strong workforce over time. And employees could count on a secure retirement income that enables them to maintain a decent standard of living after a lifetime of work. The public is well served by retirement systems that are managed in ways that promote fiscal responsibility, economic growth, and responsible stewardship of retirement assets. And if we do this well, we also benefit more people who are self-sufficient in retirement. You know, it lowers costs for safety net programs. So our approach is to do high quality research that informs retirement policy discussions. Our research program focuses on the role and the value of defined benefit plans for employers, employees, and the public. We also conduct research on policy approaches and other innovative strategies to expand broad-based retirement security. Last thing I'd say, we share our work broadly. That includes our reports. We put them on the website, conducting public webinars and participating in conferences and other public forums. It's definitely important work that you are doing there. What are some of the big issues that you are keeping an eye on? Well, for many years, we all viewed pensions and 401ks as almost being opposites. Pensions were typically funded by employers. Employers were responsible for investing the money. They carried the risks if markets declined. And over time, defined contribution plans started replacing pensions in the private sector. So in a 401k, a worker needs to figure out how much they need to save, what they need to contribute to get there, and ultimately how to spend down those savings during retirement. I'll start with three broad issues. First, we're interested in ways that pension plans can innovate so they can remain more sustainable over time. Fortunately, market gains in recent months have helped public pensions nationally. They're on their strongest footing in a number of years. But we've also seen significant efforts in the public sector to make costs more stable over time, addressing a key challenge of traditional pensions. On this front, we're currently sponsoring a pension funding policy contest with the Conference of Consulting Actuaries. And right now, the entries are actually in, and it's in the hands of our fantastic panel of judges. The goal here is to share some great ideas of funding policies that keep costs more level and keep plans well-funded over time. So this is a new project for us, but I'm really excited about it. Second, on the 401k side, we're starting to see more focus on making plans more user-friendly for workers, using defaults and nudges to help people make good decisions. So auto enrollment's been increasing. Investment defaults are more often set towards putting money in lifetime or target date funds, where investment allocations are made based on your age, and they automatically adjust over time. 
And we're also seeing more discussion of providing life income through 401ks. And this is a real strength of pensions where you get a paycheck every month for life. You know, and it's a real challenge in the 401k space. So essentially, there's a bit of convergence happening here. Pensions are evolving to be more convenient for employers, and 401ks are changing a bit to be more user-friendly for workers. And we're happy to see that progress across the retirement space. However, about half of workers do not participate in any workplace plan at all. And that participation rate has been stubbornly low for decades. So we still have a big job ahead of us as far as expanding access to efficient systems that help people prepare for retirement. So my third big picture issue is that states are stepping up to help workers who have no retirement plan in the workplace. 14 states and two cities are moving forward with Illinois and California the furthest along. And they've built savings plans that the state runs, but the employer's only role is really to enroll and set up the paycheck deduction so their workers can start to accrue some savings. And our hope is this nudges more employers to think about offering their own plan, which would be great, but at worst, it provides a backstop, a way for workers to regularly contribute to savings through a system that has economies of scale. Yeah, it's really interesting work and certainly a lot worth celebrating there. But I want to dig in a little bit more on some of the research as well. In January, NEARS released a report entitled A Better Bang for the Buck 3.0, and it follows two previous analyses conducted in 2008 and 2014, comparing defined benefit plans and defined contribution plans and the substantial cost advantages defined benefit plans have over 401k-style contribution accounts. Now, you're one of the authors of this report. So first, can you explain the difference between a defined benefit plan and a defined contribution plan? And then talk a little bit about the research and some of the key findings in that area. Sure. So defined benefit plans or a pension provide workers guaranteed income for life when they retire. The monthly benefit amount is often based on a formula. For instance, you might have a benefit formula of 2% times years of service. So after 30 years, you would receive 60% of pay for life, or after 10 years, 20% of pay for life. And the important part is the benefit is really paid out as a paycheck for life. Defined contribution plans, on the other hand, are funded primarily by employees themselves, though a lot of employers make matching contributions. The most common type is a 401k, and participants can elect to defer a portion of their paycheck to the plan, and the company may match that contribution if it chooses, and there's some limits on contributions. Now, as you said, this report follows from two prior analysis that NERS has done in 2008 and 2014, comparing DB plans and DC accounts. And it includes two new elements not included in previous studies. The first, the impact of current low interest rates. And, you know, there's some uncertainty whether or not that will continue. And two, starting mid-career rather than at a young age, which impacts the analysis as well. Now, our key findings are that a typical DB plan has a 49% savings or cost advantage compared to a typical individually directed defined contribution plan because of longevity risk pooling, asset allocation, lower fees, and professional management. A DB pension plan costs 27% less than an ideal DC plan, and this is a plan with low fees, no individual investor deficiencies, otherwise known as a behavioral gap. And another new aspect in this year's report is we found that 80% of the difference in costs between the DB plan and the individually directed DC plan actually occurs after one retires. So 
Your retirees are typically advised to shift to safer investments to protect against risks. However, that also means lower returns and less efficient system overall when you're moving money away from higher yield investments. So you tend to have more money in your account during those later years as well as you're nearing and in retirement. Finally, I should mention that the low interest rate scenario drives up the cost of retirement for both plan types. If you're expecting lower returns in the future, you need more contributions to reach the same target benefit level, regardless of the structure of the plan. One key factor is that individualized plans can't pool longevity risks either. So a 65-year-old woman retiring has a 10% chance of living less than nine years in retirement and a 10% chance of living at least 33 years. So that makes spending down your savings very tricky. And in our report, we assumed an individual would spend down by planning for the 75th percentile of longevity, which increases costs over a plan that pools longevity risks amongst everyone. In essence, with 100 or 1,000 people, we know about how long people will live on average, but the variance at the individual level is very significant, making individualized systems more challenging. Besides the cost advantages, defined benefit plans like the WRS also have a substantial economic impact on state and local economies. Nears has coined the term pensionomics. Can you explain to our listeners what pensionomics is? So Pensionomics 2021 calculates each state's economic benefit stemming from state and local pension payments, and the report provides key state-level results of the economic impact of those benefit payments. So not surprisingly, California, with the largest state economy, showed the largest employment output and value-added impacts. But even in smaller states, the impacts of state and local pension plans are substantial. So, Dan, we know that here in Wisconsin, the WRS accounts for over 95% of the public pension assets included in the pensionomics study. All state public pension assets are consolidated in the WRS except for the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County. And one in five residents are either a member of the WRS or a family member of someone who is. So what then is the economic impact the WRS is contributing to in Wisconsin? So benefits paid by state and local pension plans support a significant amount of economic activity in Wisconsin. In 2018, around 225,000 residents of Wisconsin received almost $6 billion in pension benefits from state and local plans. Now, expenditures made by retirees of these pension systems provide steady economic stimulus to Wisconsin communities and local economies across the state. In 2018, the benefit from state and local pensions in Wisconsin supported 53,000 jobs that paid $2.7 billion in wages and salaries, as well as $8.8 billion in total economic output, and $1.6 billion went back in federal, state, and local tax revenues. Basically, with more economic activity, tax revenues will rise. So each dollar paid out in pension benefits supported $1.50 in total economic activity in Wisconsin. And if you think in terms of a taxpayer and their return, each dollar invested by Wisconsin taxpayers in these plans supported almost $10 in total economic activity throughout the state. So our study captures the public pension benefits of all the public plans in Wisconsin. But I know that WRS, or Wisconsin Retirement System, is a big part of that story. 
You mentioned that retiree expenditures stemming from state and local pension plan benefits supported thousands of jobs in the state with billions of dollars in total income. The numbers really are impressive, Dan. Yeah, well, to put it in perspective, Wisconsin's unemployment rate was 3% in 2018. And the fact that DB pension expenditures supported 53,000 jobs is really significant as it represents 1.8% of Wisconsin's labor force, or more than half of the unemployed number. So let's go back to the economic impact then. Can you talk a little bit about the billions of dollars in total economic output and what that means? Sure. So retirees' expenditures from their benefits supported $8.8 billion in total economic output in the state and $4.8 billion in value added. Now, those dollars come from, you know, when a retiree gets their pension benefit, they might go to the diner, they might go buy a lawnmower if their lawnmower breaks. So there's these initial expenditure of their benefits. And then there's an indirect impact which happens when these businesses get that revenue and they end up purchasing more goods or services. So you might restock that lawnmower that you bought. And then finally, the induced impact occurs when workers employed by businesses, as a result of the direct and indirect impacts, they end up making more money and having expenditures of their own. And how does this ultimately benefit the taxpayers of Wisconsin? That's a good question. So let me point out first how efficient your public plans have been. Between 1993 and 2018, only 15% of the revenues in Wisconsin pension funds have come from employer contributions or taxpayers. Another 7% came from employees themselves contributing, and 78% come from investment earnings. So pre-funding these costs while people are working allows these investment returns to grow for decades, and the benefits end up being mostly supported by these investment returns. And in your case, over three quarters of the benefit payments are actually supported by the investment growth that the systems have achieved. And meanwhile, employees are paying in and helping contribute to the program's cost as well. But in the end, Taxpayers have an interest in things running efficiently. And in Wisconsin, WRS had stable costs and the plan has been well-funded, even during a very turbulent stretch over the last 10 years, starting around 2008. For the WRS specifically, investment earnings comprise approximately 80% of revenues needed to fund the system. The remainder is split evenly between employee and employer contributions. Wisconsin state and local governments spend just 2.1% of their budgets on the WRS compared to 4.7% nationally, and no general taxes are required to support the WRS. Yeah, the WRS is widely viewed as a successful system in retirement circles. It's maintained its strong funding levels, and the state has a long track record of being very responsible in making sure the contributions are made, both by employees and employers, which is a big factor. When markets fell, there have been some adjustments in benefits based on how it's designed. Despite that, over time, retirees have also seen increases in their benefits to help manage inflation during retirement. And the plan has done all this while keeping their funding ratio very close to 100%. It certainly bears repeating, Dan, that at a time when many state and local governments are struggling to balance budgets and maintain services, the impact that these pension systems have had on tax revenues has been a positive. Yeah, as I mentioned, state and local pension payments made to Wisconsin residents supported a total of $1.6 billion in revenue to federal, state, and local governments. And that revenue comes from taxes paid by retirees and beneficiaries themselves, as well as taxes attributable to increased income 
where they spend those dollars. So if a business gets more income, they'll pay a little bit more, as well as the additional income that other workers receive from this increased economic activity. And I think it's noteworthy that retiree pensions are an economic stabilizer as well. We don't see pension spending cut drastically during a recession like some other items. So it does help stabilize the economy during difficult times, much like Social Security is an economic stabilizer. It's a very dependable source of income. It's really hard to argue with the impact these defined benefit pensions have had. You have a great story to tell for sure. What are the biggest challenges you and Nears face when trying to get the word out about the significance of defined benefit plans? Well, I think people generally understand how user-friendly pensions are for workers. You go to work, you sign up, you do your job, and in retirement, you're entitled to a paycheck every month for life. And I think, let's face it, most of us are accustomed to living a paycheck lifestyle because some plans haven't been funded in a robust manner. The examples of that mismanagement draw a lot of attention. Fortunately, I think there's a much better understanding today of the importance of doing things right you know, making your contributions over time. And in a recent Pew report, they noted that public plans are now in a state of positive amortization collectively, meaning all systems combined are receiving contributions that reduce debt year over year. And that's a great milestone that we're hitting. But there are some places that continue to face challenges because in the past they hadn't made their contributions. We hope that states doing well States that have really done the right thing and had success are noticed for how well they're doing and providing a great example of an efficient and effective retirement program. Dan, before we go, what's next for NEARS? We have research coming out that looks at Americans' views of K-12 teachers and other education support professionals and their benefits. It's been a very challenging time for education in this country with the ongoing pandemic. And I know WRS covers school personnel, so I hope that this will be of great interest. And it will be available on our website, like our other research, at nirsonline.org. Dan, this has been a great discussion today. Thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners for checking out this episode of the SWIB Podcast. The SWIB Podcast is brought to you by the State of Wisconsin Investment Board and produced by PodCamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. Our editor and producer is Larry Kilgore III. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chris Preisler. And I'm Dusty Weiss.